All of y'all will be singing this song as you uh, head out of here. I don't even know what it says, but uh, it's, it's catchy. What we're going to do today is we're starting this, this marriage series, I Marriage, and, and I want to give you this disclaimer, whether you're married or not. The principles that we're going to talk about over these next three weeks can apply to any relationship, whether that's family members, whether that's employer, employee, whether that's um, just friends, neighbors, whatever. So, so don't think this is all about married people. Yes, we're going to talk about marriage, but we're going to talk about some very specific things that God wants us to have in our relationship. So if you'll pay attention, you'll get some of those uh, relationship type things. So what we're going to do as we start this series, we're going to read from the love chapter. Somebody tell me what the love chapter is. 1 Corinthians 13, specifically, and we're going to read verses 4 through 7. And, and this is one of the best things you can do to figure out if you really love somebody. Every time it says love, or every time there's a new phrase, put your name in there to see if you do what God's Word says is the best thing for a relationship. So let's read that together. Love never gives up. So you put your name in there. Doug never gives up. Man, it slaps me in the face. Love cares more for others than for itself. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Now, today we're going to lay the foundation for this. Almost everything I'm going to say from this point on contradicts what's in the scripture. Now, I don't mean contradicts it. It means if you, do, if you do relationships the way I'm going to talk about today, you will have a failed marriage. That's what I mean. I'm not contradicting Scripture. Wow, wow. No, no, no. I'm saying that, that Scripture says to do it one way, and what I'm going to talk to you about is prevalent in our society, and I'm hoping that if you identify yourself in this way, that you're going to say, I cannot do relationships this way and be a fully devoted follower of Christ. All right, there we go. Now, guys tend to look at marriage like women look at a car. We just want it to work. We don't want to work on it. We just want it to work. Am I right, guys? We don't want to understand it. The goal is not understanding. We just want this sucker to work. And, and most guys, or some guys, I would say, would, would rather drive it till it falls apart and then get a new one. And that's where the whole analogy falls apart because we can't go there. We're not going that direction. Now, ladies, when you say to us, I want to talk about our relationship... It sounds to us much like it would sound to you when you're driving down the road with your husband. He's driving. All of a sudden, he turns down the radio and he goes, shh, what's that sound? And you go, what sound? And he's like, you take the wheel, you drive. I got to get in the back seat and figure out where this noise is coming from. Anybody? That's happened to us. Janie, Janie would laugh if she heard me talk about that because I'm like, shh, 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 stop. Something's going on. And Janie's like, I don't hear a sound. The car's still working. Drive it. I don't want to talk about it. Let's just keep driving. And so ladies are thinking, man, why do you want me to talk about a car? That's foreign language. Or, or ladies, if your husband ever buys a car and hands you the, um, the owner's manual and expects you to read it, ladies are thinking, D equals drive, P equals park, jack. That's all I got to know. I don't have to understand a car to operate the car, right? That's how you feel sometimes, ladies, right? That's exactly how men feel about marriage. We just want it to work. We don't want to talk about it. We just want this to work. As long as it's not broken, we're thinking, why is this, why is this a big deal? Let's just drive it. Let's just, let's just cause this thing to work. Well, okay. So what we're going to talk about today 
is when you get married, uh, when, you're, when you're thinking about marriage, when you get married, right after you got married, all of us have this box that I've labeled desires. I don't, I don't know how that happened. It just, it just happens like that. So, okay, we have this box named desires. Just strange things happen at, at New Life Community Church. And inside this box are all those things that you dream and you desire about a marriage. And these things aren't necessarily bad. It's just we have these desires. So this is, this is a house. This is Janie's little gingerbread tea uh, pot house. Everybody's saying, oh, you know, whatever. Okay, so is it wrong for you to desire a nice house? Is that wrong? No, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, All of us have these desires about how we're going to divide up the chores in in our relationship. And very often, you know, laundry, cooking, cleaning, all of that, cleaning, as Medea would say. Um, All of us have these ideas of how it's going to go in our marriages. And usually that's based on the the roles that our parents played in front of us. We... uh, we all have a desire to drive a nice car like a Mustang GT. Where is Steve? Not that I'm bitter at all, Steve. Not at all. But I uh, got a little Mustang GT. We want to drive a, a nice car or at least a decent car, right? Anything wrong with wanting to drive? An, I want to drive what I want to drive, you know, that type of thing. Um, we all have these ideas about how... Our marriage should be scheduled. That's what this clock represents. Um, When Janie and I got married, I was a part-time youth minister at a church that had over 100 teenagers in their youth ministry. Three months after we got married, I started seminary, started going to school full-time. Let's just say that Janie's idea of our marriage schedule and my idea were radically different. We had this little home office thing where I would go in and I would study or write papers because that's all you do in seminary. You're either taking a test or you're writing papers. It's just constant. Four years of this. Janie was a school teacher and she would get to school early. We'd get up at five o'clock in the morning. She'd have to be at school by seven. She'd be home about 3.30, take a little nap. About the time I sit down at the computer to start studying or writing a paper, she would come in and she would sit in my lap. She'd wrap her arms around me, give me a big old fat kiss and go, what you doing? And I'm like, I am studying or writing a paper. And she goes, oh, I want to play. Let's go play. Four years of this stuff. Let's say we just had a little bit of, of conflict there. We, we, everybody comes into their marriage thinking, well, you know, we're going to have me time, we time, she time, he time, all that stuff. You come into marriage and you're thinking about, do we merge our friends or do we never want our friends to ever meet? You know, that type of thing. Usually that's better. Um, We have these ideas about holidays, where we're going to spend each one, whether we're going to alternate with somebody else, you know, from one or the other, or we're going to do our own thing. We have these ideas of what our spouses will not wear to bed at night. Yeah, that is some sexy stuff right there. My wife is constantly cold. She's always in the... the, furriest, fluffiest things in the world. And ladies, you're just thinking, he's going to love me for me. It doesn't matter what I look like. Just keep on telling yourselves that. (laughs) We we have these ideas about finances. And and we have this idea of of an acceptable standard of living. And, And usually that standard of living is what our parents are living right in front of us right now, even though it may have taken them 50 plus years to get to that standard of living. I want it right now, that type of thing. And, and here's the deal. 
Do you know what every one of these desires has in common? Oh, that was good. It stuck. Too much tape. Big fat I. Every one of us comes into marriage with this big fat list of I wants. I want a spouse to do this. I want a spouse who doesn't do this. I need what I need and I desire this type of thing. And I can't be faulted for that because I don't know any better. And my desires, they, 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 they just might be from God. God-given desires. So what's wrong with that? All of us come into this and, and here's the thing. Either at the altar or on the honeymoon or sometime in there, what we do is we transfer every one of these desires into this box called expectations. Now, when we're, when we're engaged, we dream. It's a fiancé. Fiancé is a fun word to say. And we dream. We just have these nice dreams about what our marriage is going to be like. We say, I do. I expect you to do some stuff for me now. I have witnesses. Now, when you get to this point, your marriage radically changes. Your vision for your marriage changes when it becomes expectations. And, and when it comes to this point, we, we, uh, we have only a few options of what we're going to do with our marriage. Now, these options, well, let me just get into them. Option number one, when you get to this point, you realize your marriage isn't what you expect it to be. Option one is to leave. It's not a biblical option, but it's an option that many people take in our country. It doesn't take long for you to go, um... I can't meet her expectations. I'm not what she expected. She is not what I expected. I can't handle this. Not what I signed up for. And you decide, she's just not really a good wife. He wasn't the marrying type. And so you pick up all your stuff and you leave. I'm going to cut my losses. What it really means is, we, we had these expectations and they didn't live up. And so we're leaving. And then what's going to happen is, you, you say, I'm going to take all of these and I'm going to find someone else to dump them on. Because when you go to a new marriage, it very often feels just like the one you left. You want to know why? Big fat eyes still there. Wherever you go, there you are again. So you have an option to leave. It's not a biblical option, but that is one option. There's another option, option two. The stronger spouse wins. Don't look at the stronger spouse because... They will smack you. Because if you don't do what the stronger spouse wants you to do, there will be hell to pay. And, and the stronger spouse, you harp on your expectations until finally they figure out what a husband's supposed to do. And they begin to try to live up to your expectations by running faster and jumping higher and trying to be the person that you want them to be. And the stronger, stronger spouse goes, this is really working out. This is pretty cool. Can I tell you why it's working out? Because it's very easy for you to be you. I know that's earth-shattering. It's very easy for me to be me. No one gets up in the morning, looks in the mirror, and goes, okay, now remember, be me today. Be me. No, nobody does that. You do that naturally. But it's very, very different for me to try to be Janie. And really weird, too. And it's major stress for my wife to try to be me or my mom, Bess. That's, that's unfair to put those expectations on her. When you win and finally explain for the thousandth time what a good husband is supposed to be, you think things are going great. 
And, and marriage is easy because it's very normal. It's very effortless for you. But your spouse tries to fit into your mold. It's very stressful because it's not who God created them to be. 99% of the time, it is not who God wants them to be. But you're happy because you got your way. And things are great for a while. But what about the conquered spouse? The spouse that says, well, you know, if this is the way things got to be, I'm just going to raise the white flag. I'm just going to surrender. They surrender. They conform to what you want them to do for a while. And then somewhere in the 30s or 40s, cracks start to go, show in this method. And, and neither of you even knows why at first. But here's the, here's the bottom line reason. It's because of the big fat eye. It's because you're wanting somebody to do what you want them to do. And, and they may be who I want them to be, but they aren't who God wanted them to be. And that is a recipe for disaster. So you can leave. That's not biblical. Stronger spouse can win. That's not biblical. And if you are a stronger spouse and you are overpowering your spouse, then, then you're, you're living in a ticking time bomb. Third option is compromise. Oh man, this word is everywhere out there. You do your part, I'll do my part. Holidays, your space, my space, my time, your time. You spend this much money, I'll spend that much money to the penny. Problem is, it's still an I marriage. I'll do what you ask me to do if you do what I ask you to do. It's a 50-50 deal. What happens, though, when you do 55% and I do 45? Is that fair? Nope, and we keep score. It's what happens in a partnership. And uh, I do my 50 just because it's my duty, not because I love you. But if I do my 50 and you do your 50, everybody wins, right? Say nope. Some of you aren't convinced yet. It's because there's two big, fat eyes competing. See, there's no longer one big fat eye in the marriage. There's two big fat eyes and they will collide. When they collide, you've got these options that we're talking about today. And, uh, and if I'm just doing it out of duty, do you feel loved? Is there romance? Is there intimacy? Is there unconditional acceptance? No, I'm just doing it because I expect you to do your part. You expect me to do my, my part. And, and here's how you know. Let me give you a little clue about how you know if you're in a compromised marriage. You start to make statements like, I'm concerned about my marriage. Honey, our marriage is in trouble. I'm trying to save our marriage. The problem with this approach is the focus of your concern. The focus is the marriage, not the other person. People in compromised marriages are very committed to the marriage. But did you know God never commanded you to be committed to your marriage? God commanded you to be committed to the person. You are committed to that person, then you'll work stuff out because the relationship is solid. And it's the same when someone says, oh, I'm concerned about my church. Um, <laughs> God never told me, I'm the pastor. God never commanded me to love the church. He commanded me to love my wife. God never told me to love my job. He commanded me to love my family. God says there's two things you're supposed to love. You're supposed to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're supposed to love everyone else, people, as you love yourself. You do that, all of the problems work out because the relationship is strong and you're committed to the person. Do you see the difference? I don't want Janie committed to our marriage. I want more than that. I have a higher standard than that, and so does she. Whenever we got married... Um, I sang to her Stephen Curtis Chapman's song, I Will Be Here. And one of the last lines of that song is, I will be true to the promise I've made to you and to the one who gave you to me. You know the promise I made? 
that I would be committed to her above all human relationships as long as I had breath. Is there a difference in that in a compromised marriage? Sure. Each of us could go out and get another marriage. That's, marriage isn't the goal. Marriage is the description of the relationship. Let's just keep the marriage going. Let's protect the I stuff. Let's do whatever it takes to protect my marriage, my expectations. Do you know what happens most of the time in a compromised marriage? I will, if you will. We learned this in our men's study. On Sunday mornings, we concluded that a couple of weeks ago. But we learned that there's one particular business model that fails over 80% of the time. Eight out of ten times, this type of business partnership will fail. You know what it is? It's the 50-50 partnership. It's because this is a contract. So if, if business models fail because of the 50-50 thing, what do you think is going to happen to most marriages that are 50-50? Are they going to succeed or fail? They're going to fail at a higher rate than most other marriages. Now, it's because of this contract idea. And, and in, a, in a marriage where both spouses are, are committed to a contract, almost always the first two things to go are intimacy and romance. Ladies, what do you want more than anything else? Intimacy and romance. You don't get it from a compromised marriage. Now, there's another way. There's a way to move all this stuff back over into that box, and we're going to talk about that the next two weeks. But today, I need to finish with telling you why this stuff doesn't work, why these types of relationships don't work. It's because when you move all your desires over here into expectations, you have entered into something called a debt-debtor relationship. You owe me. That's the other way to say that. Expectations, you owe me this. We stood at the altar. Your dad was sitting on the front row. We have video. You want me to play it for you? You promised, and I'm holding you to it, buddy. Do you want me to regather the witnesses so everybody can tell you what you promised before God and all of them? I'm holding you to it. And we could all make a case for why our spouse owes us this stuff. They promised forever and ever, amen. They promised. I heard them. You heard them. Am I not justified in my expectations? Here's the problem. No matter how justified you are, you will always be in a debt-debtor relationship. Intimacy and trust will be gone. There'll be no room for unconditional love. And, and let, me, let me explain why. When you're in, in a relationship and someone just meets your expectations just the minimum expectations that you have for them, how much credit do you give them? Zero. Because all they did was what you expected of them. You did the minimum amount required of a spouse. Woohoo! Don't stop the party! Hey, yeah, yeah. I didn't know if you caught that or not. I don't know what he says right in the middle there. I would have done the whole thing. If you can tell me, I'd, I'd appreciate that. Cause, woo! Awesome! You did the minimum required. We're going to throw a party for you. That doesn't happen, does it? Not when you do the minimum. That's what you were expected to do. You don't get a party when you do what's expected. It's exactly why you don't get a long, perfume, sweet love letter from your mortgage company every month. My dearest Douglas, we at Citibank would like to recognize your unbelievable contribution to this partnership by paying your mortgage on time. Your caring and thoughtful behavior sends chills down our collective spines. We so look forward to your love letters each month carrying your check, which has been so thoughtfully crafted. Our deepest needs are met by you. You complete us. 
Here's a $100 gift card to Bass Pro Shops to remind you of our deepest love and concern. With all the love that we possess, the mortgage department. You ever gotten one of those? I'm still waiting. Why didn't that happen? Because you did what you were expected. It's part of the deal. It's part of the contract. Now, when do you get a letter from the mortgage company? When does that happen? When you don't make a payment, when your payment's late. Specialized attention is reserved for those people who don't do what's expected. You miss enough payments, not only will you get a a personalized letter, you'll get a phone call so they, they can express how much they love you. You get individualized attention when you don't do what's expected. And, and can I tell some of you, your spouse feels exactly like that because you're expecting th- them to do things. As long as you do what is, is expected, there's peace. But God forbid, if you mess up, if you leave something undone, you get some personalized attention. And is that attention usually positive or negative? I've never seen it be positive. Now, if you desire to have the nice home, is there anything wrong with that? If you only desire it and you get a nice home, you know what? You're grateful. But if you expect a nice home, 95% of what should be done is done. But you know what you focus on when you come home? 5% that's undone. Walk in the house. Everything looks great. It's not bad to want a clean house. Honey, honey, I need you to stop wherever you... Come here, come here. You you may have to look real close, but you see this right here? Why is this like this? Could you explain that to me? Your kids, 99.9% of what you ask of your kids is done. What do you see? That one 100% that's not. Kids, come here. Come here. When daddy comes home, this can't happen. Are we clear? You're very clear. And nobody in your family feels loved. Because they can't meet your expectations. And you may think that, that you're contributing to the marriage. Oh, you're contributing something, but it's not what you want to contribute. Ladies, you had a desire for a nice home and really just a comfortable lifestyle. Is that wrong? No. You walked the aisle. You said, I do. And then it moved from desire over here into expectations. And you start asking, when? How long? Are we there yet? Is there any hope? I said, I do, because you said you would. I did. You didn't. What is the problem? See, the bar is here. Your husband's here. He doesn't measure up. And neither does your love for him. You're in a debt-debtor relationship. And it will not succeed. You might have good desires. But if you move them over here to expectations, you move into this you-owe-me relationship. That's the stuff of movies right there. If you want a movie with no romance, no intimacy, no friendship, no contentment, no fulfillment, no love, kind of sounds like a Bruce Willis movie, doesn't it? Um, (laughs) Is that what you want for your marriage? Now, let me just give you some God-given, God-ordained, God-implanted desires. All right, let me give you a list of those things. God designed you to want to be respected. God designed you to want to be cherished, accepted, loved, 
intimate, understood, appreciated, desired, pursued, listened to, taken care of, respected. God desired you to want to be a companion and have companionship. These are legitimate desires. But the minute I take God-given desires and I put them into this basket, when I put them on Janie's shoulders, it moves to expectation and love dies. According to Ephesians chapter 5, almost every wedding I've ever done, I've shared Ephesians chapter 5, and, 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 verse, and up there in verse about 16, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Nobody ever, guys don't usually say that when, oh yeah, I'm supposed to submit to you, you're supposed to submit to me. And then the next thing it says is, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her and, and washed her with water through the word so he might present her to himself, this beautiful Bride, radiant in glory, without a spot or blemish on it. Guys are supposed to love your wives like that. Her number one need, according to Ephesians chapter 5, is your unconditional, God-like love, not expectations. And then the end of that chapter, it says, Wives, respect your husbands. God never tells you you ladies to to love your husbands. You want to know why? Why? Because if you do not respect him, in his eyes, you do not love him. You can't beat your man down with your words and they go, oh honey, I love you. Because he doesn't buy a minute of it. He thinks you're lying. So according to Ephesians chapter 5, the number one need that women have is unconditional godlike love. The security of your love, men. The number one need that your man has is your respect. Unconditional respect. Now, how do you know if you've moved from desires to expectations? A couple of things. Expressions of gratitude, acts of service. Expressions of gratitude, acts of service. And let me tell you what I mean. We don't express gratitude for the things that we expect. Isn't that what spouses are supposed to do? How often do you say thank you will tell what's in your expectation box? Thank you, honey, for working so hard to provide for our family. I don't say it enough. I love you for that. Thank you, honey, for cleaning the house. Thank you, honey, for driving our kids all over the county Every day. They do it. You see, when when you're walking through your life, when you're walking through your house, and you see something that your spouse normally does, if you look at that and go, oh, he'll get to it. It's his job anyway. You're in the expectation category. This week I got up early. I don't remember if it was Monday, Tuesday. I don't remember what day it was. I was the only one up. It must have been Monday. Because Caleb goes to class on Tuesday, so he would have been up with me. But I, I was up, and, and I walk in, and I'm going to make the, the coffee. And one of my pet peeves is when, when I can't... Because our coffee pot is, is a weird coffee pot. You have to pour all the water in, and then it, you, know, you can just push it under there, and you get one, co- one cup at a time. And so you can't put it in a dishwasher. It sucks. And so you have to wash it by hand every day. And so I take it out, and I go over there, and one of my pet peeves is when the sink is not one side. I just want one side! And so I go over there, and of course, it's got stuff in it. And so I'm like, oh. And I look over, and I see that the, uh, the dishwasher is clean. It's full and clean. Now, I'm one of those people that believes if you have three children, they make 
they make more than three-fifths of the, the mess in the house. They should do like 99% of the cleaning. I think that's why God gave us children. You know, I'm just one of those guys. And so Janie thinks she has to do it. I'm like, no, make the kids do it. That's why we had them. Use them while we got them, you know. So I'm thinking, oh, kids didn't clean out the dishwasher. And so I was, I was studying this. And I thought, how long is it going to take me to clean out the dishwasher? So I actually timed it. I cleaned out the dishwasher, put it up. And then I cleaned all of the dishes, put it in there. It took me less than five minutes. And, and I fill up the coffee pot and I do the coffee, you know. And so I'm, I have my cup of coffee. I read my Bible. I pray. And I'm, I'm about ready to go to work. And uh, Janie comes out and, and I'm putting the coffee, uh, my coffee cup in the dishwasher. And she goes, no, those are clean. I said, no, they're not. She goes, I could have sworn I, I, I washed them last night. I started the dishwasher. I said, you did? And she goes, oh, did you clean out the dishwasher? Yes, I did. She comes up and hugs me and kisses me. And she goes, thank you, because she didn't expect me to do it. And it was this awesome thing. And so I'm like, yeah. So I come home for lunch later, and, and I sit down, and uh, Rachel's on the other side. I'm not sure if Hannah was in there. We were going to all eat together. And, and Janie has obviously been messing with her mind all morning. She goes, were you just sick of all the dishes in the, in the sink? Is that why you clean it? And I said, nope. She goes, why did you clean it? And I said, stupid marriage series. <laughs> she busted out laughing. She goes, I thought you must be doing a marriage series. I love marriage series. And she says this every time because I become much more thoughtful when I do a marriage series because I'm like, oh God, you're convicting me and I can't talk about this stuff without doing it. And so we had this big old laugh at the table. And she goes, I knew it, I knew it. I love marriage series. And I did it, I did it more than once, but, um, but you get the point. Here's, here's the thing. Janie and I will be married 22 years this May 25th. And, and it's kind of funny. We're in this ballroom dancing thing. We go uh, every other month to Tyler, and this is hoity-toity, and we wear our, you know, I wear a tux, and she wears these nice dresses, and, and there's some rule that you can't wear the same dress ever twice, you know, and, and forever. But anyway, we go and we dance, and... Um, Every, every time we have a dance, what they do is they'll call the people out, and you get, after the first intermission, you get to come out, and everybody who's celebrating a, um, an anniversary gets to dance first to this waltz. And it's a big deal, and so she'll call them out, and everybody will clap. A couple of years ago, um, you know, it's, it's, we're usually the youngest ones there. And now this last time, there were some other young couples there, but, but this happened two years ago. And they, they were calling out all these couples. I mean, these old people... I'm not even going to tell you because you'll get offended. But um, these, these people that are, that are way up there in years, and they're going, celebrating two years of marriage. You know, Jim and Shirley, and they'll come out, ooh, celebrating seven years. And she goes up. And then she gets to us, and she goes, and celebrating 19 years of marriage. Doug and Janie Washburn. And you hear everybody go, they don't even look old enough to have been married 19 years, you know. <laughs> I'm like, we're lying, you know, we're lying. Um, but it struck me that that time, we, we had the longest tenure of anybody there. And I thought, something's got to change in our society. And, and so here we are 22 years into this deal, and I try to do stuff for my wife that keeps romance and love alive. And, and just think for a second. If, if you could get 
everything over into this box and keep it in this box. And if you as a spouse become this, this student of your wife or your, your husband, and you start studying and you find something that she desires, that he desires, and you just pick that out and you meet that need, would he or she feel loved? That's the picture that God has. You see, when, when I discover Janie's desires and needs and I meet them, it fuels intimacy and romance. The expectation marriage kills it. So we're going to talk in the next couple of weeks about how to put stuff over here, how to keep stuff in this box so that we can have the type of marriages that honor the king. Now, your assignment today, whether you're married or not, your assignment as you leave today, you're going to ask yourself a question. You can, you can apply this to, to friends. You can apply it to roommates, boss, whatever. If you're married, then, then that's your primary relationship as your spouse. Here's the question you need to ask yourself as you leave here today. What does my spouse or my friend or my roommate, whatever your relationship you're talking about, what does my spouse owe me? That will reveal what's in your expectation box. And it will reveal the level of intimacy in your marriage. We can't keep these types of marriages going. They're dying at record paces. We've got to move them over here. So I hope you'll come back the next two weeks and figure that out. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we want to move into the type of relationships that you have ordained. Some of us have quite literally messed up repeatedly. We keep doing the I thing. We keep having my expectations and dumping them on new people and it doesn't work and we wonder why. God, help us to see the truth. That you've got something more in mind for this male-female relationship than just surviving. You want us to thrive. You want us to have homes built on love and intimacy and respect and contentment and friendship. Teach us how to move all this junk back into our desire box so that we can be content and we can love our spouses unconditionally. We can respect them unconditionally. And I pray that you would begin that today.